Let's stand for the reading of the word. We'll be reading from Psalm 32. Several times again today, we're going to encounter the word Selah. And take that moment. We're going to pause and allow the word to penetrate our hearts and to be reminded that God is not finished with any of us yet. Psalm 32, a maskil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters... They shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Actually, can you stay standing for a second? Um, I'd like to read this text in Spanish. There's enough Spanish speakers here this morning. If you'll indulge me for a second, I just want to read it in Spanish so that I'm, I'm from Spain originally, and there's a lot of people visiting here. I just want us to hear it in our language. Is that okay with you guys? Can you just stay standing um, and hear this out? Salmo de David, un masquil. Cuán bienaventurados aquel cuya transgresión es perdonada, cuyo pecado es cubierto. Cuán bienaventurado es el hombre a quien el Señor no culpa de iniquidad y en cuyo espíritu no hay engaño. Mientras callé mi pecado, mi cuerpo se consumió, con mi gemir durante todo el día, porque día y noche tu mano pesaba sobre mí, mi vitalidad se desvanecía con el calor del verano. Te manifesté mi pecado y no encubrí mi iniquidad. Dije, confesaré mis transgresiones al Señor y tú perdonaste la culpa de mi pecado. Por eso... Que todo santo ore a ti en el tiempo en que pueda ser hallado. Ciertamente en la inundación de muchas aguas no llegarán estas a él. Tú eres mi escondedero. De la angustia me perseverás. Con cánticos de liberación me rodearás. Yo te haré saber y te enseñaré el camino en que debes andar. Te aconsejaré con mis ojos puestos en ti. No seas como el caballo o el mulo que no tienen entendimiento, cuyos arreos incluyen brida y freno para sujetarlos. 
porque si no, no se acercan a ti. Muchos son los dolores del impío, pero al que confía en el Señor, la misericordia lo rodeará. Alegraos en el Señor y regocijaos justos. Dad voces de júbilo todos los de recto corazón. Esta es la palabra del Señor. There we go. All right. You may be seated. Um, that wasn't planned. I maybe yelled that later. No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. It wasn't planned. But my name is Kenny. Um, that's a great way to know me is for me to break the rules. Um, but I'm, I'm here this morning. I'm a, I'm a pastor and staff at Christ Community. And for, for me, coming here to downtown is actually a little bit like coming home. When we first moved here about a year ago, I started out as a, um, serving as a pastor of Christ Community here downtown. But then one of our campuses at Leewood had some transitions, and I moved out there to help. Um, my wife still goes here. I won't point out who she is, because I might get something thrown at me. But if you know who she is, you know that she's here. Her name is Martha, so you can find her. Um, it's great to be back. If you're new here, um, over, the last, over the last three weeks, we've been working through a series on prayer, looking at the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. We start out looking at Psalm 1 and 2 and seeing how we're called to be attentive to what God's doing. Then we moved on to Psalm 3, um, that, that calls us to be vulnerable in prayer, and the importance of, of sitting before God vulnerable, knowing that He knows everything. And then last week, we looked at Psalms 4 and 5, um, and remembered how God's created us as creatures of habits, and that one of those habits we need to develop is the habit of prayer in the morning and in the evening, remembering God's mercies. Um, and today, we're going to look at one of the elements of prayer, an element that's often lost in our Protestant tradition, which is confession. Um, and for, for those of you that are from other more, more Catholic countries, and this doesn't say anything necessarily negative about Catholic, it's more of a tradition to confess more often. But with Protestants, that's a weird word for us. Um, so this morning, we want to explore a little bit, what is prayer of confession like? And to do that, we're going to go to Psalm 32. So if you have your Bibles, if you could open it to Psalm 32, if you have a pew Bible, uh, or a community Bible, sorry, it's page 462. Um, if you have a phone, you can pull it out to look at your Bible. Promise me, you'll just look at your Bible. Um, not tweet anything that I say. Um, And, and, and to get to this, let me just, let me get, um, recently I was reading a book. It's called The Wind and the Willows. Has anyone read that? It's a beautiful children's book. Um, and uh, written by Kenneth Graham, and it tells a story of a mole. Yes, a mole, un topo. Okay, that's what a mole is in, in Spanish. It sounds weird, like topo. I wonder why. Um, and one spring morning, Mr. Mole decides to go out to the open and meet other animals and start some crazy adventures together, right? It's dangerous and it's exciting and all the things you'd expect from a friendship between a mole, a river rat, a toad, and a badger. But at one point, after a long winter journey, Mr. Mole and his friend Ratty, or Rat, are, are, they're, they're scurrying back home, trying to find Rat's home, which is on the river. Um, and, and, and at one point, Mole feels something. Um, the author calls it a summons. And it's kind of like a, an electric shock, a tingly feeling that goes through all his bones. It starts in his nose, but goes through his, all his body, and he starts looking around. Um, and, and it's like beckoning him. And the author points out, he says, well, humans, you know, have lost this ability to capture the more subtle of physical senses. But animals apparently still have that. Um, so Mr. Mole presses in. Let me read it to you. Let me read the description of what happens. He stopped dead in his tracks, his nose searching hither and thither in its efforts to recapture the fine filament, the telegraphic current that had so strongly moved him. A moment, and he had caught it again. And with it this time came recollection and fullest flood. Home. That was what they meant. Those caressing appeals, those soft touches wafted through the air, those invisible little hands pulling and tugging all one way. You see, Mole was passing over where his home was, and he had forgotten 
that that's where he lived because he'd been on all these adventures outside, right? And moles are meant to be underground hiding. And that home beckoned to him. It called him. It like pulled at him. He felt summoned back underground to the place he was designed for, the place built for him where he fit perfectly well. And you see, he had forgotten how wonderful it was to be home, to be hidden, to belong, to be out of the scary cold and back in familiar surroundings. So let me ask you, have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt that summons from home to a hiding place designed for you where you can be fully known, fully yourself, fully loved, and fully unburdened? That's what this psalm is about. And some of you feel that right now. I'm fully aware there's people in this room that this is not their home country. They've come from other places. And you feel it, right? You miss your home. You miss your food. You miss your people. You miss the conversation. And it's hard. And let me tell you, first of all, you're welcome here. Secondly, you have an advantage over the rest of us because you know what this is talking about in your soul, deep inside. But it's deeper than that, too. See, Psalm 32 connects with this deep, deep existential feeling that we all have this desire to hide away. It reminds us that we all need somewhere to hide. We all need somewhere to hide. Like Mr. Mole, fatigued after the dangerous and exhausting journey of life, we all need somewhere to hide. The problem is, and this is what the psalm gets at, we often hide for the wrong reasons in the wrong place, don't we? Rather than finding a home that brings security, refuge, and tranquility, our hiding kills us. It tears us apart. It dries us out like the summer sun. We feel unsafe, trapped, and weighed down. And the psalmist is a frequenter of both places. Like a good poet, he knows suffering and he knows joy. And he brings those together in the psalm. And kind of, he takes us through his journey of going from one place to another, from his hiding place, from our hiding place that hurts us, to the comfort of God's hiding place that heals us. So this morning, as we go through this prayer of confession, I want, I want us to see how that prayer of confession reveals three things. It reveals the pain of our hiding place, the comfort of God's hiding place, and the joy of being there. So we're going to start with pain. I promise we'll get to joy. But bear with me to go into the pain. So first, it, it shows the pain and ineffectiveness of our hiding place. The psalm begins with a picture of someone just released, right? That's the first thing we, we see, blessed, which means super happy, full. Someone's just been released, but they've been released from a painful hiding experience. The beginning of the psalm is the end of the psalmist's experience. So the first thing he does is says, but I wasn't like this from the beginning. Come with me into my suffering. So feel with me as we read this. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 again. And feel it. Try to understand. Try to feel the weight of this. Here's what it says. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Like Lori said, what Selah is calling us to do is to feel that, to sit in that. So let's do that for a second. Let's feel this. Do you feel the pain? Everything's heavy upon this, man. Like a life full of carrying a weight too heavy from his bones are wasting away. Pain invades his body till he's groaning out loud. Have you been there before? Day and night, day and night, every moment he feels this weight, the hand of God, the reminder that something is not right. He's fatigued. It's like, it's like being outside for a long time in, a, in one of those hot, mucky Kansas City days in the summer. Um, or we, we have those in Madrid too, and we have a word in Spanish for those days. It's called bochorno. 
You say that, I don't know if you say that in Cuba as well, but bochorno, like that's the one word I want you to remember this morning. No, I'm kidding. Don't remember that. But you, you feel it. It's like the weight and the heaviness. That's what he's talking about. And what he's describing is our hiding place. It's heaviness and pain. And the author tells us why he's in that place. And the answer is sin. We don't, we don't know the exact context of the story. There's a superscription that says David. So some scholars think it's David describing his experience with Bathsheba. Remember that? How, how David had seen someone bathing on a roof, a woman, and he had, he'd given into his lust and slept with her. And then to hide the sin because she was pregnant, um, he killed someone. He may be talking about that. He may just be talking about sin. And maybe you haven't killed someone today, but you sure know what sin is. And he describes sin fully. Did you notice this? He uses a number of words to describe sin, which tells us something about Hebrew culture, too. It tells us they knew how to describe the horrendous condition of human living a lot better than we do often. But these, these words are translated into English as transgression, sin, iniquity, and deceit. So let me, just, let me just illustrate those words so we understand what we're talking about. Transgression describes our rebellion against God. It's like looking God into the eyes and saying, no, I won't do it. Sin, the term sin is more general. And it describes kind of like getting off the right path. Um, or sometimes it's described as shooting an arrow and missing, missing the target. It's just being in the wrong direction. And then iniquity. Iniquity is like a deeper word. It describes a distortion or criminality or messed upness. It's a word I just invented. Thank you. Um, it's kind of the secret shameful stuff, right? The things we don't want to do, but we find ourselves doing it. The thoughts we wish we never had, but they're there. And he talks about deceit, which is less about the sin and more about the hiding of these things. So this is what David is pointing to. And really the whole Bible is pointing to it, saying our problem as humans is sin. But it's saying more than that. It's not enough to just say that. It's saying our problem isn't just sin. Our problem is that we try to bear the weight of sin alone. What keeps us unhappy is our obsession to bear that sin alone, to hide it ourselves and keep it hidden, to pretend it's not there and to keep going with life. That hiding, our hiding, only causes pain and suffering. And friends, let me say this to you this morning, and please remember this. We were not designed to bear the weight of sin. We were not made to bear the full weight of sin. We're not made to hide under this terribly heavy stone. It will kill us. It will kill you. It will kill me. And that's the pain of your hiding. It's the pain of our hiding. And the psalmist says, give it up. Come out into the open. So let me ask you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what the psalmist is talking about? Maybe worth so much of looking down because we know very well. Um, what are you hiding this morning? How are you hiding it? Is it like Adam and Eve when they sinned, their way of hiding it was accusing one another and trying to find somewhere else to shift the blame? Or maybe your hiding is, is more like David who is trying to cover it up with different things and different sins until he has so much that he can't deal with it. Maybe you're just pretending it's not there, trying to get rid of that feeling, saying this must be a socialized reality that someone imposed upon me. Or maybe you're like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Remember that? They lie directly to God and they're struck down dead. You definitely don't want to do that. But you really don't want to be in any of these positions, do you? Bearing the weight, that sin. And you know that this isn't just about individual sin either. It is about individual sin, but it's about more than that. We do this as communities, um, as societies, as nations. We do this as well, don't we? We hide the sins of our past and our present thinking that we can get, get along, like thinking if we just don't talk about this, then we'll get on as a nation and we'll be great. <laughs> we pretend the way we got here 
wasn't stained with blood and injustice, racism, and coercion. We blame someone else or pretend it didn't happen. And just like in our personal sin, what that does is it leads us to have to make up more things to hide these sins until we become delusional and can't even speak about things truthfully. It distorts our whole vision and brings more pain. It paralyzes us from actually healing and makes us go deeper into the dark. This is the pain of our hiding place. And let me say this morning, stop hiding. You don't need to bear your sin and the sin of your country on your shoulders. Let go of the pain of your hiding place and enter into a new place. And that's what the author does. He enters into the comfort of God's hiding place. How does he do that? He confessed to God. He admitted that he was indeed sinful, fallen, a broken being with an evil bent, but he also confesses specific things that are evidence of that. And here's the thing. Instead of making him feel terrible and while he wanted to die, this liberated him. It freed him. It made him come alive. Look at that in in verse 5. You can almost feel it. Let me read this to you. Psalm 32, verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Even notice how he says that. Remember, iniquity was the messed upness. He says, you're not just forgiving these little acts. You're forgiving the messed upness, the bentness in my soul. You're releasing me from that. Selah. Think about that. In his confession, he found forgiveness. And look, this, this confessing thing isn't just a Christian invention. Um, we know this. If there's any... Half of our movies are about this, are about things coming to the light and having to liberate it. If there's any therapists in the room, you know, any, basically any kind of, of counseling or therapy, one of the first things I have to do is bring out to the open those sins, those hidden things so that people get free of them. But the difference with Christianity, the difference of the gospel is who's active in the actual liberation part, in the freedom part. So I want, I want you to notice with me, remember grammar? Remember how we used to do that a long time ago? We're going to look at grammar for a second, verses one and two. We're going to identify who's the active agent and who's the passive agent. Okay, so let me read that to you and let's li- listen for the active and listen for the passive. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Those are passive forms. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You notice what's going on here? David is passive. All he's done is bring his sin to the table. That's it. But his sin is forgiven and covered by someone else. It's forgiven by the Lord. The Lord is active. He's the one who counts no iniquity. And we see the same thing in verse 5. All the psalmist does is open his mouth and God forgives his iniquities. You see, in the gospel, God is the active one in this liberating process. All we bring to the table, all we bring to the relationship is our sin, our yuckiness. But in his mercy, he provides absolute liberation And notice the terms. He's talking about the whole forgiveness of God. He says he forgives our transgressions. Remember, transgressions was rebellion. God saying, you rebellious enemy, I'm forgiving you. You welcome back into my people. He covers our sins, the target missed, the lost path. He puts us on the right path. In Psalm 40, we talks about that, right? He says, he lifted me out of the mud and mire and placed my feet on the rock where I can sing a new song. He's putting us in a new path and he no longer counts our iniquity. He takes our messed upness completely away. As far as the east is from the west. And as deceit lives our spirit, we begin to find wholeness. This, my friends, this is the good of the gospel. You see, David sees the heart of God and anticipates the fullness of God that comes in Christ, in whom the whole deity is pleased to dwell. You see, this is how how Christianity works. This is the good of the gospel. The gospel says there is evil and there is sin in the world. Christianity never rejects that. 
If you go to a church that rejects that, it's not Christianity, it's something else. And it says it's dangerous and it damages us in our communities and we're all involved. All our hands are stained with blood in the sin of this world. No one is free. The gospel does not deny this. It reminds us of this. It says, you and I are much worse than we ever expected. So congratulations. I hope that makes you feel great this morning. You're worse than you thought you were. That's what the gospel starts out saying. But it says we're released from hiding that. Because the gospel then points to Christ who came to lift that burden from our shoulders. As the most perfect human being ever, he showed us what it's like to live a life free of sin. Um, can you imagine how, how Jesus read this psalm? I, I wonder. It's like, okay. So it weighs on you. And he probably felt terrible because he's seen the experience, but he didn't feel that kind of weight until he went to the cross and he felt our weight. As God himself, he paid the price so that we could be freed from sin. And literally, this is all throughout scripture. It says he bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders. Remember those Christmas songs we sing from Isaiah that say he bore our grief and he carried our sorrows. He literally took it upon himself so that we wouldn't have to because we couldn't. You can't free yourself from sin. No amount of penance is gonna fix it. No good works, no balance of karma is gonna fix this problem. No self-induced suffering We needed God to reach down and suffer for us, and he did. And what this means is you're also more loved than you ever dared to imagine. And you're loved from the only one, by the only one, who can actually take that burden from you. You have a hiding place designed just for you. That's the truth of the gospel. And that's what confession is about. It's not about there's one act where you do something strange and win your salvation to God. It's not a mechanism, it's a posture it's like in the Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, he's, he's carrying this big burden. He has to kneel down so that God can take the burden off. That's what confession is. It's a posture of coming before God, humbled and saying, I am sinful and I need you to take this off of me. Continue to free me, Lord. And that's what the psalmist exhorts us to seek. Look how he describes this new hiding place he finds in verses six and seven. He says, therefore... Let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Think of this imagery. It's like the the waters was something very feared in in ancient times because they didn't know how to control it. And as we look at tsunamis in the world, that's what we're talking about, these huge waters. He says, none of that can catch you anymore. And he goes on, he says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. What he's saying is, do this quickly, friends. Don't trifle with God. And when you do, look what happens. All you fear, the flooding of these waters, envies, attacks, accusations, all these things that you're so afraid of, they can't touch you because you're safe in God's hiding place. Isn't that great? You're in the hiding place you were designed for and you're safe in the refuge your heart was longing for. Free from shame, free from guilt, free from the unbearable weight of the evil that we have been born into. That's the good, the gospel. And you see, notice this, the evil is still there. It's not saying there's no more evil in the world. No, it's saying sin is there, it's still inside you and it's still outside of you, but now it's being dealt with by an active God. It says God preserves him from trouble. God surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Sit with that for a second. Think of this imagery, it's war imagery. You're in a tent, someone's surrounding you, running around you saying, it's finished, we're done. The victory has been won. That's what God's saying. He's saying this sin that still invades your life, it no longer controls you. You're no longer subject to sin. It's not your master. You have a new master that beats sin once and for all. 
confess to him. Hide in his hiding place. Let me ask you, have you experienced the comfort of that hiding place? If you felt the power of the forgiveness from sins, and if you haven't this morning, let me encourage you, go to God. Let go of it. Throw that burden off. Say, Lord, take it and test him with his word. Say, Lord, be faithful to your word. And he will. He'll deliver you. Maybe you have felt this before. Um, Let me just tell you, keep on this path. This is a message for all of us. Sin is dealt for once and for all, but our posture is something we work out at a daily basis. And boy, this is true for me this week. I mean, you, you just know this. When, when, when we preach this stuff, God, the first thing God does is he kind of puts his fingers straight into our heart and just kind of squashes it because you, you feel the weight of this and you have to practice it. And I can tell you we need this reminder to adopt a posture, adopt a posture of confession where you're coming to the Lord and saying, you do deliver me. Please do it again. This is my prayer for you this morning that you would find the comfort of God's hiding place. But it's not just comfort that we find there. It's also deep and lasting joy. And that's the last thing the psalmist talks about. He talks about the joy of living there and this practice of confession. And this is, the, notice the note the psalmist ends on. He, he, he builds this contrast or shows this contrast that shows the difference between the wicked and the righteous, the one in pain and the one in comfort, the sad one and the one rejoicing. Let's read it. This is verses 10 and 11. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the, jo- in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see here, righteousness, we've seen it, it's not about someone who does good works or moral perfection. Rather, it's the person that's left their hiding place and become vulnerable and let the Lord be his justification and glory. And the wicked one isn't more evil than the righteous one. That's another thing about Christianity that we keep forgetting. It's not about we're the good guys and everyone else is evil. No, we're all evil. The, the, the unrighteous one is equally as evil as the good one, but instead of giving his burdens to God, he tries to keep them. He wallows in his sorrow and tries to justify his sin and keep it hidden, and it makes him tough. It makes his heart toughened. It makes him sad and broken. It makes him different. But the righteous is flooded in God's steadfast love, which is a word for God's covenantal and long-suffering love that comes from God and can only come from him. And he parties with the people within that family, right? That's the imagery at the end is they're shouting for joy. This is like a party, kind of like the Irish fest last night for those that um, were not unable to sleep in certain neighborhoods. This is a party going on. He found his home and he invited people there. Like Mole, like Mr. Mole, they responded to the summons. And they call their friends to come home to the place designed for us, for us, with rest and joy. So let me ask you, will you come home today? Will you find his hiding place? If your answer is yes, please, let me give you three response points. These aren't magical things that are going to fix your life, but there are three ways that maybe we can start responding to this text. Um, First thing is discipline. (laughs) Make confession part of your daily prayers. Friends, this is super important. Confession is that practice of lowering yourself so that Christ can be exalted, of getting down on your knees so he can take the burden off your back. Confess. Make confession part of your daily prayers. Take comfort in the fact that God is always listening to your prayers and ready 
to forgive. Secondly, community. Find others to be open with. You can't do this alone. We weren't designed for that. You need friends. You need the church to help you get out of that hiding. In fact, in the story, I don't have this written down, but it's kind of cool. In the story, Mole wants to stay at his home, but Rat keeps walking on. So Mole finally runs after him, and they stop for a second, and Mole starts sobbing, saying, it was my home, and I want to go to my home. And what, what Rat does is he says, okay, let's go. And he grabs him by the arm, and he takes him home, and he makes a party happen. It's really cool. Um, but this is exactly, it's, it's a great picture of the gospel. We're called home individually, but we do it with friends, and we need each other to take us home and to remind us of the truth of the gospel. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and a theologian in Germany during the time of the Nazis, and uh, he, was, he spent a lot of time in solitary confinement um, and counseling people that were having a real tough time confessing their sins, and particularly the sins of their church that was becoming part of the Nazi movement. It was, it was converting to another religion. And listen to what he says. He gets at this brilliantly. He says, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. This light, we're meant to live in it together. So find a community to pray with. Find friends you can trust and share your sins with. It's hard. It's really hard, but find that. Find that quickly. People you can listen to, and, and that don't justify your sin. You don't want the friends that say, well, I totally understand. It's, no, you want someone to say, no, that was evil. Let's pray for forgiveness. God forgives you. Those are the friends you need. Find those people. Community groups are about to start. Try to do that in your community group. Look, it's hard. We, we try to create these structures and hope that everyone's confessing. It's hard. You get there and everyone's talking about the game or something else and sometimes you need to just stop and say, look, I need to confess something. And you may be the only person doing it for a few weeks. And you may feel shame. That's okay. You don't have shame. You don't have to have this burden. You don't have to live with it alone. Be brave. Be wise, but be brave. Find a community to pray with. And the last thing is union with Christ. As you confess in prayer, as you confess in community, remember Remember and celebrate that you are now hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ. Look how in, uh, first Col- in Colossians sorry, 3, 3, Paul is talking to the church. Um, and this church is concerned about a lot of stuff, about what's going to happen. He says, look, to remember this, friends. He says, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We just saw those baptisms. That's what we're doing in those baptisms. We're reminding people you've now died to your old self, to the self dominated and controlled by sin, and now you come alive and you're hidden in Christ. Your life is safe and secure. You don't need to be concerned about that. And you know what that does with us? It releases us to do the good works that God's called us to do. Because see, we're saved from sin, but we're also saved into good works. But it's a very different way of doing it because now we're one with Christ and his good works are ours. Listen to how he says it. He does this great invitation in Matthew uh, chapter 11. We call it the great invitation here because Christ is inviting us into a new life. Listen to what he says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One with Christ, unburdened by sin and shame, we can now imitate him fully. We can follow him. We can confess our sins and turn from them. 
<laughs> Instead of having to justify our sins, we can give ourselves away to others. Instead of trying to find what lifts us above, uh, above others so that we're not found out, we can actually go down and lift others up. That's the invitation to the new life that comes through this confession, through finding forgiveness in God. So this morning, what, what I'd like to do, actually, I'd like to end by practicing this together as a community. Um, and one of the ways to do this really well is a meal that Christ gave us when he left. It's a meal that Christians have practiced for centuries that's designed to confess, remember, and celebrate our union with Christ and community. Um, and we call this communion, often it's called the Eucharist, which actually is, is kind of a transliteration of Greek words that means thanksgiving um, or, or praise and giving thanks because that's what it is, really. Christ left us this meal to remember that his sacrifice was made because we were unable to save ourselves. We needed him. We needed someone else to take the burden. When we eat the bread, his body, and drink the juice, his blood, we're physically being reminded that we're now part of his body. And I know this is freakish, right? But that's what's happening. We're being reminded that we're part of his body. We're, we're part of a body together as a community. And we can rejoice in that because we no longer have to bear the weight of our sins and those of the world. So this morning, as we gather around the table, or I should say people holding little plates, um, let's focus on celebrating what God has done for us, this comfort and the joy of this new place. Um, let me just explain how we do com communion here at Christ Community. If you're new here, we, we practice what's called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member here to participate in communion. We do ask that you be a follower of Christ, because this is a meal for those who have decided to follow him. Um, if you do come, we'll come down the middle. We'll gather in groups of four to six at the end. So you kind of come around and go back. Um, and we'll take the bread together. We'll dip it in the wine and together partake, reminding ourselves that we're part of this wonderful community. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is practice this act of confession. So I'm gonna pray just a prayer of confession for us all. Would you pray with me? And then I'll pronounce words of assurance. Let's pray. Lord, like David, we have kept silent and our bones are wasting away. We find ourselves groaning because of the weight of our sins and our rebellion against you. Day and night, we feel it. We feel the weight of your hand offering to remove our sin, but we keep it close, hiding from your presence. So today we acknowledge our sin to you. We do not cover our iniquity. We say loud and clear, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. Hear our confession this morning. And now, Lord, we remember what you have done to free us from our weighty sin. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember and we celebrate the fact that you have freed us from sin and hidden us in your body. In Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. When you're ready, please come to the table.